Hello everyone and welcome back to The Wounded Healer, where we make the human experience more enjoyable. I'm your host Keith, and today I have something very interesting that could potentially save your life or someone else's life. So what if I was to ask you the question, if you were to witness a crime taking place, would you intervene? I can answer that for you. More than likely, the answer is no. Why is that? Well, there's a psychological phenomenon called the bystander effect. What is the bystander effect? The bystander effect occurs when the presence of others discourages an individual from intervening in an emergency situation. Now, that could be anything from bullying, assault, or any other crime taking place. See, the greater the number of bystanders, the less likely it is for any one of them to provide help in distress. See, people are more likely to take action in a crisis when there are fewer or no other witnesses present. Why do we have this information and why do we know this? Well, uh, on March 13th, 1964, a young woman named Kitty Genovese was stabbed to death in Queens, New York. She was on her way home from her bartending job or bar that she managed um, and when she gets to the parking lot and gets out of her car, she notices someone is kind of coming towards her. So she gets frightened. She takes off running. This individual runs after her, catches up to her, and stabs her. She yells out, I've been stabbed, um, which does get some attention from the folks in the apartment buildings, but no one gets involved, no one helps, they're kind of just peeking out the windows. Um, and again, this was about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. The assault takes over 30 minutes. She is being stabbed and sexually assaulted in the doorway of her apartment building. Um, and the man responsible for this was Winston Mosley, who at the time was a unknown serial stalker rapist, um, murderer, and just petty thief. Uh, five days later, he was caught and admitted to uh, the, the murder and admitted to two other murders that had taken place in the last five days. And he said he was out that night driving around looking for a victim, noticed Kitty walking down the sidewalk to the apartment complex gets out and, you know, decides that this is, is going to be his next victim. Um, now, being 1964, didn't have mass media, didn't have social media. Uh, the murder wasn't really known outside of that community until the New York Times gets a hold of some of this these police statements and witness statements, and they released a headline on March 27th that read, 37 who saw murder didn't call the police, alleging that multiple neighbors heard or witnessed the murder but did nothing to help. Now, later this was criticized and looked into further, and they did find that some of the allegations were false, but nonetheless, it caught the attention of two social psychologists, um, Bib Leonte and John Darley. 
and they made their careers studying the bystander effect um, and have shown in clinical experiments that witnesses are less likely to help a crime victim if there are other witnesses. Now, the other explanation uh, of this is called diffusion of responsibility, and that is where a person is less likely to take responsibility for action or inaction when other people are present. Now, that's considered a form of attribution. Uh, you know, the individual assumes that others either are responsible for taking action or are already or have already done so. <clears throat> so, two of the main experiments that Leonte and Darley performed um, was the first. The first one took place in uh, 1968, I believe. <clears throat> where they wanted to kind of create a situation similar to that of uh, Kitty's murder, um, but without the violence. And what they were doing or trying to do is to try to understand what social forces were acting on the day of that crime. So in this first experiment, Leonte and Darley recruited college students to participate in what seemed to be just an innocent talk with other college students. So each participant, were, they were given headphones and a microphone, and they stayed alone in a room talking to other students through the intercom. Uh, and they wanted to do this, and it was said that they, they wanted to keep everyone's identity anonymous, you know, just to protect everyone. Um, and the theme of the conversation was college life, college problems, worries, and, you know, things like that. <clears throat> so what they did is they, they divided the participants into three groups. Uh, the first group thought they were talking one-on-one -on -one with the other person. The second group thought they were talking with two other people. And the third group thought they were talking in a group of five people. Uh, and at a certain point of the conversation, the per one, the other person that they were all talking to, uh, was asked to pretend like or act like he was having a seizure and he needed help. Um, and what the professors were trying to do uh, was, you know, kind of investigate the difference between the difference of behaviors between each groups, according to the, the number of witnesses. Um, and the results they got were, you know, just eye opening. Uh, when participants thought they were the only ones who could help, 85% of them left the room and asked for assistance. When participants thought they were there were other, you know, folks with them or other people in the conversation with them, that number dropped to 64%. And in the situation where there were five people involved in the conversation, only 31% of the participants searched for help. Um, and it kind of just, you know, verifies what was happening that early morning in that murder where everyone in the apartment building was just assumed they just assumed that someone else was going to you know call the police or someone else was going to help <clears throat> now that experiment did receive some pushback from peers and uh you know they one of the one of the the pushbacks it was, well, what if the individual was at risk? 
are they influenced? Um, because if the individual is at risk, then it should be a hundred percent of the time they should ask for help or they should seek help. Um, so they being social psychologist and, and wanting to understand this, they investigated this also. And so this second experiment that they did was, you know, again, they recruited some more students and this time they were asked to just fill out a questionnaire. Uh, they divided the participants into two groups. There was a group or you know, the participants f filling out the questionnaire alone in a room and then participants filling out the questionnaire with other participants in the room. Um, so in a few minutes after the participants start the task or start to fill out the questionnaire, a black smoke starts to creep out from the room's air conditioner and it gets thicker and thicker until the room is filled with smoke. Um, now, in the second group, the larger group, uh, some of the participants were asked to kind of just ignore the smoke uh, and not even be bothered with it. And what they found was that when the participant, when the participant was alone, 75% of them quickly left the room, reported the smoke, and, you know, it's kind of looking for help. Um, but of those participants that were in a room with the other participants and the other folks that just kind of blew it off like it wasn't a big deal, only 10% left the room and searched for help. And that was after twice the amount of time that it took the single individual to seek help. Um, so that was surprising. And those results kind of confirmed the first study's finding that the greater the number of bystanders, the less likely we are to act. <clears throat> and sorry about that. <clears throat> Even if ourselves could be in danger, being surrounded by people who do nothing makes us more likely also to do nothing. This opposes the intuitive idea that the more people there are in an emergency situation, the more likely it is that someone would call for help. As Leonte and Darley have shown in their results, it is quite the contrary. Now, what are some of these reasonings? What are some of the reasons that people will not help? Well, we talked about the diffusion of responsibility. There's also the evaluation apprehension that is kind of being scared. Uh, you know, you, you see what's happening and you kind of freeze and you, you have fear of being involved. And then there is the pluralistic ignorance, which is the tendency to rely on the overt reactions of others when defining an ambiguous situation. Simply put, you assume that everyone is thinking the way you think. You assume someone else is going to help. That person is also assuming that someone else is going to help, so... You just assume that the majority of the minority of the group is going to do something. Um, and all of these things can be harmful or not helpful to a situation. So now just knowing or being aware of these things, maybe that will prevent you from being a bystander. Uh, and like I said earlier can maybe help save your life or the life of someone else. 
Uh, <clears throat> the there has been many experiments done on this so-called bystander effect, and one of the things that they've also kind of established is that appearance um, plays a big part in whether or not someone is helping. Um, if an assault is made on a homeless person or if an assault is made on someone who is in a suit, uh, the homeless person is less likely, someone is less likely to intervene on the homeless person, more likely to intervene on the person dressed in a suit. Um, if a, an assault is happening on a prostitute, it is less likely that people get involved. Um, so, you know, it's that, that mindset, it's that, again, those, that diffusion of responsibility, the evaluation apprehension, the pluralistic ignorance, all of those things are real. They play a, a, a part in what is happening and the group size. Um, but now that we know this and we are aware of this, hopefully we do not become or continue to be just bystanders. Um, how can we apply this to everyday life? Or how can we apply this to, say, work, a volunteer situation, or maybe home? Well, now that we have an understanding of the psyche of the person in this situation, you know, if you are in charge of a volunteer operation and you need volunteers, you know, don't just try to get any volunteer. Try to just get one first. Get one person to help you. Others will follow. You know, at, at work, you know, you're working with large teams, you know, get one person on that team to start participating. Others will follow. At home, get one person to do something. The others will do it, you know. Don't just assume that because they're there and they also live there that they're going to take the trash out. I mean, there's evidence here that you know now that it's not going to happen. The brain doesn't work that way, right? If you live in a house with multiple people and you walk by the trash can that's overflowing... More than likely, you're going to assume someone else will take it out. That's the diffusion of responsibility in its simplest form. If you live alone, you don't have that option. You have to take the trash out. <laughs> so, right? <clears throat> um, the bottom line, if you need help, you better ask for it. Um, it will be more beneficial to you and everyone around you if you ask for the help or you get someone to help you. Uh, I'll leave some links to other videos on YouTube uh, where you can watch some of these social experiments take place with the bystander effect. They're neat. I encourage you to watch them. Um, and it kind of just gives you a different perception on humanity and how humans operate on a day-to-day. -day. Um, I think the, <laughs> the goal here is to make the human experience more enjoyable but at the end of the day, the, the more we learn or the, the more we're able to see what 
humans are capable of and what we are capable of. Uh, sometimes you just lay down at night and you're just a little disappointed at, you know, um, but that's okay because we have the ability to learn. We have the ability to grow and we have the ability to make different decisions and to overcome some of these things. So don't be too discouraged. Continue to learn and grow. Continue to be a part of making the human experience better. And I'll ask you not to be a bystander anymore. And like, subscribe, and share this. And continue to do so in the future. You know, you can now find this podcast on Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, uh, and many other places. So it's very easy and accessible. And there are no excuses. You can find it and listen. <clears throat> it's full of good information and it is full of information that can help make your experiences more enjoyable. So see you on the next one.